Our sermon text is John 6, 22 through 35 and 47 through 56. Hear the word of the Lord. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. With the son of which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from the heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give... For the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Maybe seated. Yeah, yeah, double double invitation to be seated. Yeah. Yeah, sit down quickly. Um, if you haven't already, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's Word. Please turn to John chapter six. Since the beginning of January, we have been walking through the book of Acts, off and on. We've been taking it in three big sections. The book of Acts divides very neatly into three sections, and so we considered uh, the first section uh, at the beginning of the year, we took a break, and then the second section we just finished preaching through last week. We are in chapter 13 of Acts, and we will pick that up um, probably at the beginning of September, we're going to take a, a nice little break from the book of Acts because once you get to chapter 13, things really start to shift and we have all of Paul's missionary journeys. And so we want to make sure that we have a good break before we head into that. And so for the remainder of the summer, 
And so the rest of July and a little bit into August, we are starting a new sermon series. And what I want us to do over these next six weeks is to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus himself. Um, as we've been walking through the book of Acts, of course, Jesus is prominent. And in all of our sermons, we, we try to make sure that the gospel is clear in and through them. But they're not specifically about Jesus. It's been a church-heavy season. We've been talking a lot about a lot of things related to the church and church membership and what it means to be a part of the church and what the church is called to do by the Lord. So we're going to take some time to focus on Jesus himself. And here's how we're going to do that. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. So for all of you that are like me and you struggle with math and you hear six, seven, that, did he mean seven weeks? No, we're going to take uh, one week and we're going to cover two of the I am statements whenever we were in John chapter 10. So the I am statements from the book of John, if you're not familiar with them, they are as follows. I am the bread of life. Jesus saying all of these. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, I am the true vine. A challenge for you. I want you to search. You could, you could even just get on Google and type in the I am statements of Jesus and something immediately is going to pop up. But what I want to encourage you to do over the next six weeks is to try to memorize each of these I am statements. And if you just want to take it week by week, that is fine. So if this week you want to work on memorizing the I am statement of Jesus in John 6, chapter 35, I think you would be well served by doing that. Now, there are a few reasons that I want to take us here throughout July and into August. First... I want to help us in, in this season that we're in to enlarge our affections for Jesus. And, and that's a goal that I have in every single sermon for you to go away amazed by who Jesus is, more in love with Jesus when you leave than when you came in. That's a goal every week, but especially over these next six weeks, I want your heart to grow three times in size as we consider who Jesus is and what he came to do. And metaphorically, of course, if it, if it really grows three times in size, you need to see it. one of the doctors in the room. I can't help you with that. Um, but I do. I hope our hearts, our affections increase for Jesus. I also want to help us see clearly what Jesus came to do and what he really offers I want us to feel, as a church, more equipped to talk about Jesus with people in Tupelo because these are the people that we are called to reach immediately. We are called to reach people of all nations, but we live here. The Lord has placed us here. And so in a city, in an area where a lot of people know things about Jesus, where there are a lot of misconceptions about Jesus, what I want us to do is to have rock-solid confidence in who the real Jesus is. And maybe you're here and you have some misconceptions about Jesus. You have an idea of Jesus, but it doesn't matter if he's not the real Jesus. So we want to consider over the next six weeks who Jesus is in his own words. And there are some common misconceptions about who Jesus is. And some of these are more attractive to us than others. And some of these we might even hold without even realizing it. It's crucial for us to know the real Jesus. You see, you may be rejecting Jesus right now. 
It is so important for you to know that the Jesus you're rejecting is the real Jesus. Because if you shared with me who you believe Jesus is, I might reject that Jesus too. It's important for you to know who the real Jesus is to make sure the one you're rejecting is the one who actually is. Now, if you're a believer, you may be frustrated with Jesus right now. You you may be expecting him to do things for you that he has never promised that he would do. You may be waiting on him to work or move in a particular way because you have a conception of who Jesus is. We need to check that against God's word. And you may be apathetic toward Jesus right now. You may not be giving him much thought at all. That's why we're going to dive into his, his words. Who does he say he is? He may not take up much real estate in your heart right now. And it may all be because it's been a long time since you wrestled with answers to the question, who is Jesus? See, it's one of those questions. There, there are so many important questions that we have to answer in life. One of them, you know, that you may be asked, a lot of us, you know, have already been asked, will you marry me? It's a really important question, right? And your answer to that question, you know, will, will change your life for better or worse, you know. But, but that's, it's a really important question that, that you're asked or you may ask. Do you accept this job offer? Another really important question that might dictate where you live for the next 10 years. Regular or curly fries? Another really, really important question. And one we all know the answer to, right? One, two, three. Curly. Yeah, always. Always curly fries. Important questions. But the most important question that you will ever ever be forced to answer is who is the real Jesus knowing the real Jesus changes everything your misconception will not help a syncretized Jesus will not help a Jesus that submits to your preferences and your desires and your ideologies is not what you need we need the unfiltered undiluted real Jesus And in these I am statements in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us who he is in vibrant color. They're all metaphors. If you you did not enjoy English in high school or college, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to bear with us over the next few weeks. These are vibrant metaphors. Jesus is telling us who he is, and he's using real-life images, real-life pictures to describe himself. This morning, we're looking at the first one. The first I am statement comes in John chapter 6, and it's where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This section of John's gospel is known as the bread of life discourse. Here's what we have here. Jesus sitting in a synagogue, teaching the people that are following his miraculous signs. See, he had just fed 5,000 plus people from just a few loaves of bread. And he had just finished walking on the water. The disciples go out in the boat. They don't have Jesus with them. They look out and they see him on the water in a storm. Jesus is there. And now the people are frantically searching for him. They're longing for him. In, in John 6, chapter, or, uh, verse 15, they're longing for him to be their king. So much so that it says that they're going to force him. They're going to take him by force and make him the king. Whether he wants to be the king on earth or not, they're going to make him the king because of what they had seen. They had a particular perception of Jesus, who he was and what he came to do. And it caused them to desire more and more material blessing from him. But then they encounter the real Jesus. He shows them who he really is. 
And he shows them how he has come to offer them so much more than they could ever hope or dream. As many people have observed, this passage functions kind of like a sandwich. So you've got two slices of bread, which is similar teaching, and then in the middle you have uh, a brisket, you know, because we don't eat turkey, we eat brisket um, in our sandwiches. Um, so uh, the meat, and that, that, that meat is about God's sovereign grace. We're not going to be talking about that. If you noticed, as, as Blakely was reading, she read uh, from verse 22 to 35, and then she jumped to verse 47. We're not going to be looking at what's in the middle. Uh, it's significant, it's so important, but we're just going to be focusing on his bread of life discourse. And We're going to do that in three ways this morning. First, we're going to consider why we need the bread of life. Second, we're going to consider how Jesus provides it. And third, we're going to consider how we get it, how we get in on it. All right, so first, why we need the bread of life. Okay, so we started a little bit already, but let's set the scene so we're really clear about where we are and what's happening. So Jesus is, is in the middle of his ministry. He is going around. He's performing, as John says, throughout his gospel, all of these signs. We call them miracles, but John is specific. He uses this word signs. He's performing these signs. Um, you know, he turned the water into wine was one of them. And here we see that Jesus has just fed 5,000 plus people and walked on water. Significant. So that's, that's where we are here. So then now we have the crowd that had received the food from Jesus. They noticed that he and his disciples were nowhere to be found. They go searching for them, and John tells us that they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. He's intentional about that language, and Jesus is going to bring that up here in a second. Finally, they find Jesus, and they ask him, when did you come here? When did you come here? Another way that that can be translated is why. Why did you come here? When did you come here? Why did you come here? And in reality... This seems to be a rather simple question, and they had no extra intentions behind it. They were just curious. He was there one minute, and then he was gone as they were about to make him king. Actually, John tells us that Jesus retreated to a mountain so that he could hide from the people. You know, maybe, you know, if you're, if you're an introvert, you know exactly what that's like. It's, oh, crowd's getting too heavy. I need to retreat. I need to go find me a mountain and hide from folks. Um, well, Jesus, did, he, he, that was not a part of his plan to become an earthly king. So he gets away from the people. Then he ends up walking on water. They're looking for Jesus. They finally find him. They ask him, when did you come here? They're genuinely curious about when and how Jesus made his way across the sea. And what an opportunity for Jesus to tell the ones who didn't see it, you want to know how I got here? I walked on the water. I walked on the water. Another opportunity for them to marvel at his power and, and how, how miraculous he was. But, but he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus saw right through them. And he wants to talk about something that they're not even bringing up. He wants to talk about the reason that they are seeking him in the first place. He wants to help them see their need. We need the bread of life for one very simple reason. We are hungry. We need the bread of life because we are hungry. Jesus, he tells the people that they are seeking him not because they saw signs from God, but because they ate their fill of the loaves. And then, Jesus tells them, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. So, okay, in in these desires of the people to seek Jesus in their hunger, uh, a couple things are revealed here. First is a misconception that they have about Jesus. 
in their minds, to put it pretty simplistically, they believed that Jesus was there to meet their material needs. They, they, were so, they were so caught up. They could not see the forest for the trees. They had seen all of these signs, all of these miracles that Jesus is performing, and they totally missed the point. They had received food from Jesus. As he takes a few loaves of bread and he, he feeds 5,000 plus people with them, they see that. They receive that. They eat the food. They taste the bread. They're there with everyone, and they totally missed the point. What they wanted was a Messiah or a Savior who would come and immediately deliver them from the hands of the Romans. So after Jesus has this feeding, he, he had went into hiding. They wanted to take him by force and make him king. And the people had real, immediate, physical needs. And they wanted Jesus to be a savior who meets them all. Now the problem is that this misconception of a Jesus who meets all of my material needs was not the Jesus who was standing in front of them. They couldn't see. They could not understand what was happening right in front of them because of this misconception. If you have a wrong view or a wrong understanding about Jesus, it will blind you to who he really is, what he's really doing, and what he really offers. You will miss out on it. But we also need to see they don't just have a misconception. They have a real need, and it's deeper than the need that they think they have. Hunger. Their physical hunger for bread pointed to something deeper, and Jesus wanted to help them see it. He tells them, you're not here for another sign so that you can glorify God and learn more about the one that he has sent. You're looking for me because you ate the bread and you're hungry again. And he wants them to see something in that. You're looking for the wrong kind of bread. He uses their, their physical need, this physical experience of hunger, to help them see a deeper spiritual need. Jesus told them, don't work for food that perishes. Work for food that endures for eternal life, which is an odd segue if, if you're not Jesus. They're seeking Jesus because they're hungry. There is a hunger that exists inside every single one of us. It's a hunger of the heart. It's a hunger, a yearning for love, for belonging, for approval. It's a hunger that leads to ambition. It's a hunger that leads to seeking and longing. The hunger of our hearts is, it's, it's kind of like that feeling you get when you experience something that you really wanted. Whatever it is, I want you to, to, to fill in the blanks here. Something that you really wanted. Maybe something that you even prayed for. And then you got it. And when you got it, you enjoyed it, and then you took a step back and you said, that's it? That's it? You thought it would fulfill you. You thought it would satisfy you. You thought if you could just get this one thing, that everything would be okay. And then you got it, and everything's not okay. It's not enough and you want more, and you want more. And there are endless physical, physiological examples of this that we could go from alcohol to drugs. So there are all kinds of things, food, I mean, everything. You desire it, you want it, you have your fill, and then what happens? You're hungry again. You, you, you eat today, you go home, you eat lunch, and then hours later, you feel it. That physical experience we have exists within our hearts as well. But Jesus says, and this is the clue, 
you're looking for the wrong kind of food. Stop looking for the food that perishes. And he's not just talking about the bread that they were eating. We need the bread of life because only the bread of life can satisfy our deepest hunger. There's a repeated theme throughout this this teaching. Jesus essentially says over and over again that there are two kinds of life. Two kinds of life. The first, and this is just, just how I'm putting it, the first is life that takes. Life that takes. And the second is life that gives. Let's think about these for a second. First, life that takes. This is the bread of this world. We can eat. We have our fill. Time passes. Our stomachs, our hearts, they, they, they start growling again. They start grumbling again. They want more and they want more and they want more. We can live to our own satisfaction. We can search for what makes us happy. We can do that thing over and over and over again. And the hunger of our hearts will appear satisfied. But then tomorrow comes and we're hungry for more. I love how C.S. Lewis puts this. You see, we have, we have bad taste. We have bad taste. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis says. You see, the life that takes our natural lives in this world sets us out on a never-ending hunt. We hunt and we search for our food and we finally find it and we we eat it and we have our fill but the next day we're hungry again and then we have to keep searching maybe for different food but Jesus's point in all of this is that all of the food that you're looking for is going to perish it will spoil it will not fill you the people's desire their hunger was to be delivered from the Romans But that was not going to be enough to satisfy their inner hunger for justice and righteousness and peace. Whatever it is that you are currently pursuing right now in this world, there is a hunger beneath your hunger, a truer hunger, a deeper hunger that can only be satisfied by the bread of life. So that's the life that takes. But there's also, Jesus says over and over again, there's life that gives life that gives that's open to us that we're invited into and that's what jesus wants you to see he wants you to see the life that gives in your deep need for it notice what he says he says work for the food that endures to eternal life he's saying there is a kind of food that once you eat of it you will never go hungry again there is a kind of life that is really life. This is, this is a kind of life that just keeps on giving to you and giving and giving. And so the, the Greek word in this passage, I, I try to read the, the Greek uh, version of all of these passages that I preach. Most of the time, I'm like, kind of cool, not that helpful. Kind of cool, not that helpful. This, I hope, is a little bit helpful. The Greek word that's tr- that we translate as life 
throughout this passage. You see it in your Bible, and it says life. The Greek word for it is zoe. Now, the Greeks, they had a couple words that we translate as life because English is very boring. We're like, oh, yeah, you have that meaning? Yeah, our word is life. Oh, this means something completely different? Yeah, we'll we'll stick with life. You know, it's kind of similar. And so zoe is different from the Greek word bios. And so bios, obviously, like, it's a root word for words like biology. It it means existence, um, to, to live in the most basic sense. But zoe means something so much more. It's a different kind of life. For us, it's like our use of the word life, if you fill in the context. It's the way we use the word life. I'm sure a lot of Mississippi State fans used it this way this past week. Finally won that national championship, the College World Series, and you're the champions, and you're celebrating. I had a number of friends that, that went down to the celebration in Starkville, and I could see their videos and their pictures. And I can imagine some of you, some of them, they were thinking to themselves as they're seeing the team celebrate, and you see the trophy, and you're like, ah, this is the life. This is the life, or whatever that is for you. Whatever, whenever you're doing it, maybe you're relaxing on a beach or you're at the lake, whatever it is, you got your feet propped up, you have your favorite drink, and you're just like, ah, this is the life. That's how we use the word life, and it, it's similar to the Greeks and how they would use zoe. Zoe, life, as Jesus uses it here, is the life that really is life. Life that is full of joy and meaning and fulfillment and exhilaration it's the life that just keeps giving it's like eating bread not because if you don't eat it you'll starve but because you love the taste and you savor it this is the life that he offers this is the bread of life and we are all hungry for this life we are prone to eat the wrong kind of bread so think before we move on any further what does that look like for you How are you trying to satisfy the hunger of your heart? What is true living to you? If it isn't Jesus, if it isn't from Jesus, it will only partially satisfy you. And it will ultimately exhaust you because you will need more and more and more of it and it will not be able to sustain the hunger of your heart. And so you have to move on to something else. We need the bread of life because only the bread of life can satisfy our deepest hunger. Now Jesus says that he provides it here. So moving on to our second, our second point here. How does he do that? How does Jesus provide this bread of life that we need because of the hunger of our hearts? So if there is a kind of bread that will satisfy us forever, a kind of food that endures to eternal life, we have to ask the question that the people ask Jesus. Where can we find it? They they literally ask in the passage. um, They say in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? It's almost like they're asking, where is the field? Where where is the grain? Where is the wheat? Where is the, the recipe? What are the steps? What do we need to do to find this bread? What do we need to do to make it? And then Jesus provides a stunning answer. You have to believe in me. You want the life that is really life? You want the food that endures to eternal life? You have to believe in me. It's it's startling. To have eternal life, listen to what this man is saying. This man that they believe is a rabbi, a teacher, possibly a prophet, someone who is obviously, you know, with God in some special way, but still a man to them. And he looks at them and he says, 
If you want the good life, if you want the true life, if you want eternal life, you have to believe in me. Now at this point, you'll notice what the people do. They point to Moses. They turn to Moses. Because they're thinking that Jesus is basically saying, you need to accept me as your leader, your prophet, called by God to lead you out of bondage and through the wilderness to the promised land. So they say, you notice what they say here, if we're supposed to believe in you, if we're supposed to get on your agenda and follow you and and accept you as our leader, what sign will you do so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Because if you remember Jesus, the people of Israel followed Moses, but Moses provided manna from heaven. That's the sign that Moses gave. He provided manna, this bread that descended from heaven to feed the people. So, you know, what are you going to do? Now, if I were Jesus in this moment, after what had just happened, I would have looked at them and said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You want a sign? You just ate bread. You and 5,000 people just ate bread from this little basket that this guy brought me. Are you kidding me? A sign? But see, the people think Jesus is like Moses. So, so they're saying, if we're going to follow you, you got to at least get on Moses' level. Because, sure, you provided bread, but that bread was brought to you by a, by a person. Moses... He provided us bread from heaven. So so what do you have to show? I love how Jesus responds here. He's like, well, first of all, don't get it twisted. Moses didn't provide that for you. God did. My Father in heaven is the one who provided this bread for you. And the people respond finally for the right way. I want you to to look at it with me starting verse 32 truly truly I say to you it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world so he's telling them even the manna as important as it was at the time as much as it sustained the people was pointing forward to the true bread of God that would come down and so you, you, you can just feel it in them They're like, we want this true bread. You're saying that we can have bread that's better than the manna that our ancestors had in the wilderness? You're telling us this? And their response is finally right. Sir, give us this bread always. And by the way, if I don't get back to it, what a prayer for you. Just a weekly, maybe even a daily prayer for you. Give us this bread always. They're on the cusp of receiving what they want and need more than anything else. Bread from God himself that continually gives life. Give us this bread always so that we may never hunger again. Feel their desperation. Please, sir, they say. Offer a sign. Give us the bread. Call it down from heaven. We want to live. And then Jesus says something that had to absolutely knock them on their tails on the ground he looks at them and he says I am the bread can you imagine I am the bread come down from heaven he says in verse 35 I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger whoever believes in me shall never thirst 
Jesus provides the bread of life, the life that only gives, the life that is eternal, and he does it in two ways. He provides the bread of life first by coming down from heaven. He is the bread. There's a common misconception about Jesus, that Jesus will show us the best way to live, and if we follow his ways, we will have eternal life. And some of you may have been taught this before. We're so prone to believe it because we're a self-sufficient people. If we want to make it in life, we've got to make it ourselves. So it, it follows. If we want to make it with God, we've got to make it ourselves. But Jesus did not come to show us how to get the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Don't miss it. If we want the hunger of our hearts to be fully and finally and forever satisfied, we have to have Jesus. Not things about Jesus, not truths about Jesus, not things from Jesus. We have to have Jesus. If you have ever been tempted to believe that you may miss out on eternal life because of the way that you are living, you need to hear this. All you have to bring to Jesus is your hunger, your need. All you have to do is wake up to the reality that you are hungry and the food you're eating will never satisfy you. Jesus is enough. Second, Jesus provides the bread of life not only by coming down from heaven, but he, he offers and provides the bread of life by calling us to himself. Look at this invitation. He doesn't invite us to a rule book. He doesn't invite us to follow a new law. He doesn't say, if you want eternal life, then memorize the Bible and do everything I say. He offers the radical good news of the gospel, which is that Jesus is the bread of life. And if you want it all, then all you have to do is believe in him and come to him. Notice what he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever does everything that I say will never hunger. That's not what he says. I'm the bread of life. Whoever follows all the rules... Whoever lives a, uh, lives a clean and honorable life, they will never thirst again. That's not what he says. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, will never hunger, will never thirst. Eternal satisfaction, eternal life comes to us only if we come to Jesus. Jesus places no limits on this feast. There are no age barriers don't think you're too young to believe in Jesus. Don't think you're, it's past your time and you've messed up too much and there's no way at this point in your life you could ever be received and accepted by God. There are no status barriers. There are no financial barriers. There are no cultural barriers. There are no behavioral barriers. The doors of God's kingdom have swung wide open with the coming of Jesus and there is a banquet inside. And he invites you to his table. And he says, come and feast. Come and eat. And everyone is invited. That's our call as we leave this place, as we go out those doors and go into this week, is to invite people to come to the table and eat. The bread of life is received. It's not earned. So that's how Jesus provides it, by coming and calling us to himself. But there's one more thing to consider here. How do we, how do I, personally, individually, how do I get in on it? How do I, how do I get it? And that's where Jesus, you know, gets a little weird on us. So turn with me to verse 47, if you will. Verse 47. Now, here's what we've seen so far. That we need the bread of life. 
because of this deep hunger that exists in our hearts. And we've seen that Jesus himself is the bread of life and that we can only be satisfied, we can only have eternal life in him. So now, how do we get it? And Jesus has already answered the question. He already told us, come to me, believe in me. Remember what he said to their question, what do we have to do to be doing the works of God? Believe in me. You believe in Jesus, you have the bread. You believe in Jesus, you have eternal life, okay? Um, But then he gives us a metaphor to further our understanding of what that actually means and what it looks like. So we get the bread of life. Hear me out and hear Jesus out here. We get the bread of life by eating Jesus' flesh and by drinking his blood. Okay, if that hits you really weird, if you're like, this is insane to me, most of the people listening to him at the time thought the exact same thing. If you actually look down later in the same chapter, tons of people stopped following Jesus after he said this, you know. And you can relate to them. If you're following this guy who's doing really cool things, and then he looks at you and he's like, hey, look, if you want all this stuff that I'm giving you, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You're like, okay, it was nice, nice knowing you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go over here. I don't know that I really want in all of that it sounds cultic and and a lot of the people even have accused him of of, you know being being cultic in this uh but i want you to follow with me so i'm going to read it again and then we're going to make four observations and we'll be out all right he says truly truly i say to you verse 47 chapter 6 whoever believes has eternal life i am the bread of life so that's really important that he reminds us of that he already gives us the definitions this is the the truth now he gives us a metaphor a picture of what he's talking about. So he says in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And everyone's all good with with the passage so far. This is wonderful. He's repeating some of the stuff, saying it in different ways. We're, We're tracking. And then he says... If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews get what he's saying. So they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What is he talking about? And you would think Jesus might would say, well, now hold up. Understand what I'm saying. Let me clarify. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. He goes all in with this metaphor. So follow it with me in verse 53. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. We get it. No, you don't. Here's more. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Okay, we got it. No, you don't. Verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Four observations. First, Jesus is saying in clear terms here that you have to eat the bread of life to benefit from its life. You have to eat it. Now, the metaphor makes sense. God provided manna to the Israelites in the wilderness. In order to benefit from its nourishment, what did they have to do? They couldn't just say, hey, cool, it's rain and bread. That's really cool. No, they're still hungry. The only way for their hunger to be satisfied is to do what? 
You gotta eat the bread, right? They take it, they gather, they have, they have to eat the bread. And so uh, manna, even though it's from God, was not the bread of life. In the same way, God has sent the bread of life down from heaven in Jesus. But in order to benefit from his life, we have to take and we have to eat. If we eat this bread, we will have Zoe life forever. So yes, if you connect the dots, Jesus is the bread of life. We have to eat the bread of life to have eternal life. So Jesus draws a conclusion. He says, my flesh is the bread of life, so eat it. Okay, so only first observation, you have to eat the bread to benefit from its life. So second, second, the metaphors of eating and drinking are already explained for us. So don't, like, don't think too hard about it. They're already explained for us. And they mean come to Jesus and believe in Jesus. And this is a metaphor of that truth. Come to Jesus and believe in Jesus. And the, the picture is eating and drinking his flesh. So just want to make sure we have that clear. Third observation. The metaphor of eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood clarifies how Jesus provides eternal life. So manna from heaven, how did they get sustenance from it? It was real bread. They ate the bread. They had life. Jesus has given us a metaphor. I am the bread of God. I am the bread of life. Come down from heaven and if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will have eternal life. And the Jews are confused, and the disciples are, are really worried at this point. And it's like, are you actually saying that we're supposed to do that? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to say it, but is that what you're really asking us to do to really, really? You really want us to do that? No. He's, he's clarifying how the bread of life actually grants us eternal life. We live through Jesus' death, the bread that he offers is his body, which was broken on the cross. The life that he offers through his blood was shed for us on the cross. Jesus is the bread of life to satisfy our deepest hunger because he came to provide for our deepest need. We each deserve death, judgment from God for our sin against him. Jesus offers life to us by offering himself up for us. Taking and eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood is a metaphor that tells us we are to receive him as our crucified Lord. So if you have a misconception about Jesus that his death, you know, on the cross was just an example of love or something like that, you need to see this very clearly. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook for that. It's to believe, not just in Jesus the teacher or Jesus the prophet or Jesus the miracle worker. Eating his flesh and drinking his blood is to receive and believe in Jesus the substitute. In Jesus, the sacrifice. In Jesus, the atonement. We can be confident that coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus will satisfy our hunger only because he died in our place. The bread was broken. The blood was shed. So come and eat and drink and you will live. Fourth, one final thing to see. Um, this metaphor of eating and drinking shows us how we can experience eternal life even right now. This Zoe life that we've been talking about, the life that really is life, the best life, it's something that we will experience in full only in the end. 
When Jesus returns and his kingdom is consummated, all things will be set right and we will live in a new earth and Christ will reign as king forever and ever. And on that day, it will be the first day of endless days where all we're able to say is, ah, this is the life. Only then will our hunger cease forever. But eternal life begins with the coming of the bread of life. Jesus' kingdom has been inaugurated. He is the king right now. His kingdom is here. And if you have come to Jesus by faith, you are a citizen of that kingdom. And so despite the fact that our hearts still hunger, we can experience Zoe life right now. How? He tells us. By eating and drinking. This metaphor, when you eat and drink anything, and we're not going to get into the biology of it. You can ask Field later. Um, but when you eat and you drink, whatever you're eating and drinking, it becomes a part of you. It, it becomes a part of you. Don't think too hard about it, but just think about digestion, how it works. That's how physical hunger... Sorry about that. Um, physical hunger subsides. Don't you love that background noise? It's beautiful. Hey, listen, the Lord's calling right now, okay? So um, that's his warning to you. Um, <laughs> no. Um, physical hunger subsides when we eat and we drink, and whatever we eat and we drink becomes a part of us. Spiritual hunger subsides in the exact same way, only when Jesus becomes a part of us. So we don't just need to believe in Jesus intellectually, assenting to certain truth claims about him. We need to abide with him, which is a promise he offers us here. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So eating and drinking Jesus' body and blood means to live the life that he has for us. In order to do that, we need more of him. We must submit ourselves completely to him. He becomes a part of us, dwells within us, and we live our lives on earth in him. We are united to him, connected to him in such a way that our life in his kingdom is really his life in us. So the reality is before us. Our hearts are hungry. We, we, we are on this never-ending quest for food that will finally give us what we want and what we need most. So listen to yourself. The next time your heart says, this is not enough, your heart's speaking truth. There's nothing you can accomplish, nothing you can achieve or discover or receive in this world that will ever be enough. It will all spoil in the end. It will satisfy you for a time, but then you'll wake up the next day hungry. We'll never find it in anything the world has to offer. But also remember the solution was provided. Jesus was sent as bread from heaven to give us eternal life as his body was broken and his blood was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And now there's an invitation before each one of us. And it's the same invitation that was before Adam in the Garden of Eden. Take and eat. Take and eat. And although that first bite of the fruit of the tree in the Garden of Eden led to death, eating the bread of life will give us the life that will never stop giving. Respond to his invitation this morning. Come to Jesus. Believe in him. 
reject your misconceptions about Jesus and take him at his word. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to very appropriately respond by coming to the Lord's table.